evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Yeah, we've had a couple of weeks off looking uh, at John, but we're back. We've gone through nearly the whole book now. And as you heard Joel read, our passage this morning starts with a group of guys locked in a room in fear. That's probably not an experience many of us have had, or at least I hope not. But perhaps we can all relate to fear holding us back. Fear can kind of lock us into a situation. That feeling of fear can make it feel like we're locked up, afraid to step out. Fear can hold us back. You know, I nearly didn't get married because of fear. Not actually my fear, but Jess's fear. Because back in 2003, uh, my family went on a skiing holiday, and so I invited Jess along, and I thought, what an amazing place to propose. What a beautiful, romantic setting on those snowy slopes. So we went up to the top of the first slope, and I skied down, and I looked around, and Jess was still at the top of the slope. Paralyzed by fear, she just stood there, and I had to, to kind of talk her down and shout encouragement to get her to come down. So we did that. So next slope, same things happens again. And that ring st- stayed firmly in my pocket because that just wasn't the romantic setting I'd hoped because fear <laughs> was kind of ruling that situation. Uh, obviously, needless to say, I found a better situation to propose, and it all worked out all right in the end. But fear can hold us back, can't it? Maybe it's fear of what others might think of us. Maybe it's fear of what the future might hold. Maybe it's fear even of our past catching up with us. All those fears can lock us up and hold us back. And these men in this room were kind of experiencing some of those fears. But in this short section of the Bible that Joel read to us, we're going to see what a difference meeting the risen Jesus makes to all those fears. So, yeah, let's have a look at what's happening in this passage then. These ten men, these followers of Jesus, are stood there in that room on a Sunday evening. You can imagine them looking at each other. The door locked shut. That room might even have been the same room where just a few days earlier they shared a last meal with Jesus. 
of how much they'd been through in that weekend since that evening. Judas, one of their own, one of their friends, had sold Jesus out to those that were trying to kill him. And he'd left their group. But now, as they looked round that room, that locked room, it wasn't the um, Judas missing that really hit them in their stomach. It was the fact that Jesus wasn't there. You know, they'd followed him for years. They'd seen him do amazing miracles. They'd seen him teach amazing things. They'd been sure he was going to lead them to victory. And now he was dead. Crucified with common criminals by the authorities. And now here they were, back in that room with the door locked, wondering, would it be them next? Would the authorities come for them? In fear of what might happen to them now that Jesus was gone, what would the authorities do to them? You know, I wonder if also in their minds was the memories of how they'd behaved over that weekend. You know, how quick they had been to abandon Jesus. Some had even, just a day before, denied they even knew him. You know, their memories of those years they spent with him must have been colored now by their shame of denying him. Now, there had been reports earlier in the evening that some of the women had seen Jesus risen from the dead, that he was actually alive again. And a couple of the disciples had even seen his empty tomb, and they believe he's alive too. But for now, as a group, here they are in fear, with the shame of their actions present in their memory and locked in fear because of what might happen in the future. But then everything changes. Have a look at verse 19. It says they were locked in that room and Jesus came and stood among them. Those locked doors were a barrier for the enemies, but they were no match for Jesus. He came and stood among them. What happened there changed everything for those guys. And even 2,000 years later, it can change everything for you here this morning. We're going to see that the risen Jesus brings peace and purpose for these fearful men and for the fearful now. That the risen Jesus brings peace and proof for the doubter and that the risen Jesus can bring life to me and you. So let's uh, reread verses 19 and 20 as we see the risen Jesus bringing peace and purpose to the fearful. So verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. See, their feelings have been transformed in a moment, haven't they? They've gone from fear to joy, from being locked in fear to being overjoyed. And what made the change? Well, what they saw with their very own eyes, that even these rumors they'd heard were true. That Jesus Christ, their closest friend, who they'd seen painfully die in front of their very eyes, now stood there among them, alive. He was different somehow. He could get through locked doors, for one thing. But he was the same. You know, he still bore those scars they'd seen him get. He was really physically there among them. And the first words he says to them is, peace, peace be with you. Isn't that the words they needed to hear? 
They needed to calm their troubled souls when they had no idea what the future held, when they were worrying about the opposition on the outside of those locked doors. Isn't that the words they need to hear? More importantly, probably, isn't it who they needed to hear those words from? Anyone can come and say peace, but it doesn't really mean anything. But as Jesus stood there amongst them, he was once dead, now alive. I'm sure they were confused in all sorts of ways, but they were overjoyed because Jesus had beaten death. He clearly now has the power to declare peace in their lives. He says it again in verse 21, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. This peace Jesus is declaring to them is possible because the Father sent Jesus, his Son, into this world. Jesus reminds them here that he was sent to the world with a purpose. John 3, 16 spells it out. I think it will come up on the screen. It's a very famous verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know, that's why God sent Jesus. In love, God the Father sent Jesus into our world to save us, to rescue us, so that we can have eternal life. Now, those disciples there could have their shame of abandoning Jesus transformed to peace. They could have the fears of the past catching up with them dealt with because Jesus came down to them and rescued them from their shame and fear. This encounter with the risen Jesus showed the disciples that he was alive, that he is the one who can beat even death and he can deal with our deepest fears. And it shows us too that Jesus draws near to the fearful and the shamed, to the sinners and the sufferers. Jesus wants to draw near even to you this morning. Jesus wants to say those words to you, peace be with you. In Hebrews uh, 2, verse 15, that's going to come up on the screen there. It says that because when Jesus died on the cross, he broke the power of death and rose again, he is able to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You know, we see the disciples here transformed from fear of death to joy as their saviour broke the power of death. And Jesus wants to free you from that fear too. Jesus wants to draw alongside you. I don't know where your fears lie this morning. Maybe it's fear of opposition like the disciples. Maybe it's even fear of death. Listen to the words of the risen Jesus who has beaten death. Peace be with you. If even death is beaten, then Jesus can comfort you in your fears, whatever they are. But Jesus didn't leave them in that room, and he doesn't want to leave us just comforted here in our seats this morning. He sent them out. He said, as the Father uh, has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not 
forgiven. It's another amazing transformation for those disciples from being unsure what to do, locked up and huddled in that room. Jesus is now saying, I'm giving you a purpose in life. There's work to be done. Just as the Father sent Jesus, now Jesus is sending on his disciples. And what are they sent to do? To proclaim forgiveness. These are difficult verses. Only God can forgive sins. So these verses aren't here somehow saying that the disciples could do it. But as they went out, they proclaimed the good news of Jesus, the only message that can bring forgiveness, the one message that can transform fear into joy, can transform shame into hope. Shouldn't miss the stark contrast in that verse that some people are forgiven by God and some people are not. That's a stark message, isn't it? And only through hearing the gospel message, the good news of Jesus, can people have an opportunity to receive that forgiveness. So Jesus sends them out on that mission to spread the word, to spread the good news. Then he carries out this beautiful symbol of breathing on them and promising that they'll receive the Holy Spirit to undertake this work they're being sent to do. A couple of pages later in the Bible... You get to Acts 2, and you'll see there, you can read that for yourself later if you like, what a transforming effect receiving the Holy Spirit had on them, and how it equipped them to go out on that mission and tell the whole world about Jesus. But here in this passage, in this dramatic picture, as he breathes on them, we can draw a real comfort from what we learn here. Firstly, Jesus gives his followers purpose. Jesus has prepared work for you to do, each one of you, and for me, in our families, in our workplace, in our communities, even here in the church family, Jesus wants to give you purpose. He's sending you on a mission. And secondly, he equips you to do that work, to do that mission. He equips you with the Holy Spirit. This picture of him breathing it out reminds us he's giving us of his very self to equip us. The three-in-one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are at work in the life of the Christian. And all three are seen here in this passage. And the Spirit is given us to equip us in our mission, our purpose. So if you're a Christian here this morning, where is it that Jesus has that purpose for you? Who is it in your life that needs to hear this message of forgiveness, the good news of Jesus. You know, the mission those disciples started all those years ago isn't finished. This week I had to um, drive down over Dundry Hill, and as you come down there, you just see the vastness of Bristol, don't you? It's at night, and if you just see all the lights, think of all those houses, all those people who don't yet know Jesus. And he's given you his spirit, he's breathed into you, so you can go out and do that mission. Think of all that Jesus has done to give you that purpose. So don't sit still, just comforted here this morning. You're sent out to go and tell others. And if you don't know Jesus here this morning, meeting the three-in-one God in the risen Jesus gave peace and purpose for those fearful men in the room that night. You can meet 
three in one God here this morning. By his spirit, you can meet Jesus in these words. Fear of death can be removed. The fear that's locking you in, whatever us, can be transformed to peace sending you out. So there's peace and purpose for the fearful. But is it true? Can we really be free from our fears? Can we really be given that purpose in a life? It all hinges on, did Jesus really die and rise again? Is it really true? Verse 24 to 29 wants us to see that this isn't a made-up story. It really is true. As we see, there's peace and proof for the doubter. Because on that first Sunday, there's someone who wasn't there. Thomas, we don't know where he was, but he missed out on the whole thing. So as soon as the disciples see him next, you can imagine what their first topic of conversation was. In fact, we don't have to imagine because verse 25 says, So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. Great news, you might think. Those disciples are getting their first chance to go on that mission, that purpose that Jesus has told them to do. But Thomas uh, bursts their bubble pretty quick. He says to them in verse um, 25, he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands where he was crucified and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side where the spear went into him that night he was crucified, I will not believe. Thomas has got some big questions here, hasn't he? He wants proof. Thomas has a firm grip on reality, I would say. He knows what death means. He knows it's a one-way street, isn't it? You know, that's painfully obvious for those of us who've lost loved ones, that death is a one-way street. So Thomas lays out his conditions for believing that Jesus has risen from the dead. He doesn't just want to see the scars of the crucifixion, like the other disciples told him they saw. He wants to actually touch them. And then a week passes. We get to the next Sunday. We can only imagine the conversations that happened in that week. But Thomas is still there meeting with those other disciples on that next Sunday evening. I think we can take from that that Thomas is still questioning. He hasn't given up. He doesn't believe. But he's putting himself amongst that group. So the next Sunday, the disciples are all in that house again, all in that same room, this time with Thomas. And the doors are locked again and again. Jesus appears among them. What will Jesus do? How will he deal with Thomas? He's the risen Lord, the almighty, sovereign God. Will he rebuke Thomas? Will he tell him off for his lack of faith? Will he make him a kind of example, a teaching point to say, well, see, this is what happens to those who don't believe? He doesn't do any of those things, does he? He draws near to Thomas Jesus clearly knows the thoughts and conversations that Thomas has been having. He simply says to him, peace be with you. Put your finger here. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus draws near to Thomas in his doubts, in his lack of faith. And he responds with peace and an amazingly gracious proof of who he was. You know, Jesus wants to draw near to you in your questions too. 
Maybe you're like Thomas here this morning. You're amongst people who do believe in Jesus. You're here every week maybe, but you're not really sure. This stuff seems almost too good to be true. Well, Jesus wants to draw near to you by his spirit. You might have a million questions, and that is fine. Do you see that Jesus didn't feel threatened by Thomas's hesitancy? He didn't put Jesus on the back foot. He's not delicate. He can handle our questions. I think there's two ways of asking questions about our faith and about Jesus, though, isn't there? Thomas was questioning with an open mind that led him towards Jesus. He was there in that room still saying, well, I want to see, I want proof. We can be just asking questions really as a deflection where we're closed. We don't want to know the answers. So if you're asking questions, if there are doubts in your mind, are you open to hearing the answers to your questions? Jesus does tell Thomas here to stop doubting and believe. So there is a kind of mild telling off, a mild rebuke but not before he's drawn near to him, shown him himself, declared his peace. You know, Jesus wants to meet you in your questioning. He wants you to believe. He wants to show you himself by his spirit in his word. You know, our faith is not something we work up so that we get enough to reach some level to meet Jesus. You might feel really shaky in your faith here this morning. But come to Jesus with your questions and he will meet with you. And we see Thomas's response to meeting the risen Jesus. His response is really just to give his life to him. Uh, have a look in verse 28. Amazing words. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. It's kind of saying, Jesus, you are God. And you are the boss. But more than that, you're not just the boss, you're my boss. My God, my Lord. That should be our response too. If Jesus really did die on the cross, if he really did rise again, what else can we say but my Lord and my God? Maybe you're thinking, well, it's all very well for Thomas. He did get to physically see those wounds. He did get to physically see Jesus. What about us 2,000 years later? Well, Jesus promises here that it is possible for us to believe too. Verse 29 says, Then Jesus told him, Because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Precisely because Thomas and the other disciples did see these things, did witness these things, and went on on that mission to testify what they'd seen, we can be blessed, that means kind of happy, we can be happy to, to, be, to believe 2,000 years later. We've got this faithful record of what happened. We've got these first-hand accounts that Jesus really did die and really did rise again. So ask your questions. Read these first-hand accounts. If you've never read John for yourself, read it. Let Jesus speak to you. Let him speak to you by his spirit. And like Thomas, you can find peace and proof for the doubter. So then, with those people in mind that will believe without seeing, maybe even you and me, John sort of closes this chapter of the book in verse 30 and 31. John's effectively saying, I could have written loads more. In fact, I could have filled the earth with books that I wrote about Jesus could have shown you loads more signs he performed to show who he was and why he came. But I've written these particular things 
so that you who read it, that's us, even us here this morning, might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. John's written these things so that we will believe. Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, that he's alive. And why does he want us to believe those things? That believing you may have life in his name. Not a life of shame or fear or being locked in our own doubts, but a life of joy and peace with a purpose to life, to be sent out to declare this to others. In other words, as John would say, life in all its fullness. John puts a direct connection between belief and life. If you want a life of fullness, it's received by faith. It's received by faith. There's a kind of fear and futility to life that we all experience, don't we? Because whether we consciously think about it or not, we know that death will rob us of everything in the end. But the resurrection can change all that. This account of Jesus tells us that Jesus is alive. We can be sure there is eternal life, life after death. Jesus proved it. And the purpose of Jesus' death was that you might join him in that life. Death is a consequence of sin. Right from the very first people that sinned in this world, death and decay entered into the world. And each of us sin, we each fail in many ways. And death is that consequence, that judgment for that. Jesus was the only one to have never sinned. And yet he died. He died in our place. He took the full consequence, the full judgment for our sin, for mine, for yours, so that if we believe, we can be free from that judgment. We can follow our Savior on that pattern from death to life, not because we haven't sinned or that we've somehow atoned for it, but because he has. You know, the disciples there in that room that night were an ordinary bunch, a bit like me and you, failures in many ways. I'm sure they had regrets as they stood there that night. But through Jesus' resurrection, they went on to proclaim that his death and resurrection could deal with all sin and failure. They declared that eternal life wasn't earned, wasn't achieved, but received. A free gift from those who believe in Jesus. Because Jesus has earned that for us. He has achieved it. So we can live a life free from fear now, knowing that we have eternal life with him. That is life in all its fullness. So come to him with, these, with your questions. This passage declares to us that Jesus is alive. It leaves no room for it to be metaphorical or spiritual. Jesus really did physically die and rise again. What are you going to do with that claim? It's good to ask questions and probe it. And amazingly, Jesus wants to draw near to you in those questions. He wants to free you from fear and give you eternal life. Not because you deserve it, but because it's a free gift and he loves you. Because of the faithful witness we have in these words, you can believe it. You can change from being locked up in fear to being sent out by Jesus 
with his peace, his purpose, equipped by the Spirit, living life to the full because he's freed you from the fear of death so he can free you from all other fears to enjoy life with him forever. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news that we can come to him and he wants to come to us? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for sending Jesus to rescue us, to die in our place, to take us from a life of fear and futility to a life with peace and purpose. Lord, we thank you that in your word we have this faithful witness of what happened. Lord, we thank you that it answers so many of our questions. Lord, we thank you that you've given us this evidence of your resurrection. Lord Jesus, for all you've done for us, what can we say except my Lord and my God? Lord, we thank you, we worship you, we give our lives to you. You are our only hope in life and in death. Amen.